you, the data knots, enjoy working in green data centers where unicorns bring fresh coffee to our well-appointed cubicles each morning. Uh, wait. You, your data center is more brown than green, and you've never seen such a unicorn? I guess if we're honest, neither have we. But we have hope, and that's why we're going job hunting on today's episode of the Data Knots Podcast. At PacketPushers.net, you can find this in all of our Data Knots shows about infrastructure engineering, or just search for Data Knots, spelled like astronauts, in your favorite podcatcher. If you like the show, please tell a friend. You can follow us at datanauts underscore show. I am Ethan Banks at EC Banks. And with me is the fabulous Chris Wall at Chris Wall. He only accepts coffee delivered by thoroughbred unicorns. And our guest today is Doug Lane. Doug and I have been going back and forth in email and uh, Slack, I think, a little bit. Or maybe it was Twitter uh, about recording this show. And it's going to be a different show. And then Doug said, you know what? I'm going through kind of a career change. And uh, and maybe that's the show, and, and that's what this has become. So, Doug, welcome to the show to talk about your career change and so on. And uh, in a sentence or two, would you introduce yourself? Hi, I am a tech ops professional with 25 years of IT industry experience in multiple industries. All right. Well, welcome to the show, and uh, thanks for being willing to chat with us about your transition from from one job to another and how you did that. Now, looking for a new job means, uh, first of all, knowing what you want, which is a process that you went through. How did you do this? Like any problem, and that's how I approach it it as a problem, it's really hard to solve until you've actually defined uh, that problem and fully understood it. Uh, It's something that uh, I think I got off Twitter from uh, someone that I followed, but it it just made a lot of sense and was uh, really applicable to my situation at the time. Mm, Kind of the the architect's uh, thinking there. And I get the idea of like trying to attack it that way, but a lot of times, like in technology, when we're trying to solve a problem, we kind of we kind of know what's feasible, what's not. You know, in the job market, that seems a little more challenging. You know, like is what I want realistic? How do you know the jobs that you're looking towards are something you can actually perform or be successful with? It's one of those times where you need to sit down and be honest with yourself. And I'm not good at that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I like to do is a, a SWOT analysis. It's something that you probably are doing as part of your job, just with different situations at the job, but it's something that you should be doing for yourself, you know, periodically, at least annually. And doing that will help you create that elevator pitch that is really crucial when you're out there searching and trying to get yourself in front of a recruiter or a hiring manager. And just for those playing the at-home game, the SWAT, that's the, what, the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats or something like that? Right. That's okay. right. Yeah. Just kind of high level. Is that just where you kind of, you, you navel gaze a little bit and you figure out exactly what it says? Like, what are your strengths and weaknesses? Kind of what can you move into? Like, what are opportunities and threats in this case? Like, I'm trying to visualize that. Well, those are the, the things that are kind of in a, external to you. The strengths and weaknesses would be the things that, you know, about yourself. The opportunities would be what you would like to do and threats may be, you know, what skills do I need in order to go after that kind of job? Things Mm. that would prevent you from getting that sort of job, you mean? Yeah. You can look at it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I can see it both ways. I'd be like threat. If I move into this field, maybe it'll go away in a year. Like I'm trying to be the buggy whip master (laughs) instead of the, you know, engine, you know, like something like that where it's, it's a threat, maybe, I can see the job could potentially be evaporating or that market kind of declining or, hey, I can't get this particular job because it only needs people that have a master's in whatever or this certification. Yeah, the certification could be really 
that can really be difficult to decide which one to go after. There's so many out there and they're constantly changing. It's, it, it can be difficult to decide and hoping that you're, you're able to keep up. Yeah, and whether or not a certification even matters may be in part tied to the sort of organization you want to work for. So as you consider different organizations that you might like to work for, what what did you consider, Doug? Well, do I want to stay in the line of work that I've been doing or do I want to change I've been in management for so long. Do I want to go back to an individual contributor role or am I looking for something that's a little bit more of a hybrid between the two? Do I want to work from home or am I willing to relocate or do I really need to stay where I am? Uh, maybe there's, you know, uh, family circumstances or something else that prevents you from relocating. And then, you know, just the kind of business that you prefer to work in. If you have always been in enterprises, you may be more comfortable with that. Or you may actually be interested in a startup and that kind of atmosphere. And, you know, and then there's always the, the situation of, do I want to get out of the particular industry that I was in? If it's, you know, if it was like a non-technology industry, do I want to go to financial? Do I want to go to insurance? Or do I want to go to healthcare? You know, if you haven't worked in that industry uh, before it can be difficult to get your foot through the door. Yeah, well, not only that, it could be you're in one industry and know that you want to get out of that industry. So, for example, I worked in financial for a while, which was very high pressure because there was it was a zero downtime tolerance. So, working there as a network architect, we'd be designing a core change. Well, you can't change things in the core and not drop any packets. So, coming up with a scheme where you could minimize impact to the end users was enormously stressful because if something didn't go just right, then the repercussions could be felt the next day because of the change window that night that didn't go so hot. Well, that sort of pressure gets to you after a period of years and going through those cycles. And I knew when I got to the end of that stint in, the, in that financial organization, I didn't want to do financial again. I wanted to do something else that was less stress. And so I ended up focusing on other organizations outside of uh, banking where I was tied up. And so I'm also curious, Doug, now you mentioned relocation versus working remotely. Did you explore remote opportunities particularly? I'm just wondering if that's a thing because there was a movement for a while of people going back to the office as opposed to uh, remote working so much? No, I didn't focus. In fact, I really felt that I was probably going to have to relocate because the where I live, there isn't a lot of uh, tech jobs, uh, particularly in, in my area, require my kind of skill set. So I really felt like I was going to have to relocate to uh, a market uh, just with, you know, stronger tech jobs, you know, something like uh, Austin or Denver or New York, Raleigh, those sorts of markets. Or Boston. <laughs> Sorry, I'm putting a plug in for the Northeast up here because Boston's another one of those hot tech markets right now. Mm. I'm still thinking about Ethan, you know, showing us where the, the network touched him at a finance place. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew I knew when you're like, sometimes you're trying to get out of a market. I'm like, he's going to talk about networking. And you did love it. Uh, <laughs> pivoting a bit, though. So obviously – having the right skills and having the right, you know, connections and what is one thing, but life is all about marketing yourself and kind of perception has to become reality. How did you market, you know, what you can do, what you're looking to do, kind of how you're going to take that journey with a prospective employer? I made some mistakes. Um, the way I started, I, what I first tried to do was just apply to as many positions as I could. You know, I, I had a resume that I've been working on for a while 
and I probably didn't tailor it as much as I should have to each position. In retrospect, I learned that really needed to focus on my network first. You're far more likely to find an opportunity through someone you know than than not. I'm sure there's probably multiple studies out there that can be cited to support that. That's even been my own experience is that any position I've had I've been able to gain is is through somebody that I that I know. Whether it you know may not be a real close friend, it may be more of an acquaintance, but anything like that that can get you closer to talking to a hiring manager is an advantage. I mean that that's fair. And I'm kind of curious, I, I think we should expand on that a little bit as to not everyone knows a lot of people. Where do we where do I dig to find water in this well? You know, who am I talking to if it's not obvious? You know, because sometimes you have, oh, my buddy knows this perfect position, you'd be great for it, done. You know, it's all kind of a underground deal. And then sometimes you're like, man, I have no clue. Who do I talk to? Right. It's um that that was kind of uh what I faced as well. It's like who do who do I start with? Who do I talk to? But you know, there's always family. There's always you have friends from high school, college alums. Past coworkers are a really good place to to ask. Could be people within your community, like your neighbors or church members. Uh, and then you know, looking on um, through social media, you know, Twitter followers. If you have friends in the tech industry and on Facebook or LinkedIn, you know, the best thing to do is make a spreadsheet or a document where you can list all those people that you plan to reach out to, and then just keep track of the communication that you've had with each of those individuals. And those people, asking those people are going to lead you to other people that you probably don't know. But, you know, just reaching out to someone you do know, they will vouch for you to the next person. And that will extend your network even even further. That was really interesting when you said start a spreadsheet, track everybody. In other words, you got to take this thing seriously. You can't just call your buddy and go, hey, you know anybody? And then you, you really need to track every opportunity and and take it seriously. That's that's sort of a big deal. But sometimes, though, your, your well is pretty dry. You know, you can talk to people you know, but if you don't happen to know that many people that are in tech or whatever, maybe you just don't have any any good connections that come up from those folks you know. Is there a recommended way to network with new people? Yeah, I would recommend looking at meetup.com or something similar for any kind of local meetups for technologies that either you have some experience in or have an interest in learning more about. That's a really good way to uh, to meet people. It's kind of a kind of more of a like a small group atmosphere instead of a large conference where and it's difficult to walk down a walkway in those sorts of situations and just try to reach out to people and make connections. Uh, but conferences can be good as well uh, in your area. You should probably have some tech conferences that you can look into. Yeah, I found conferences can work when you're in a particular session and so you know the other people in that room likely have a similar interest. And then you can kind of kind of zero in on people there, introduce yourself kind of drive-by conversations. You hear people standing around in a circle. It's not, it, it's, it's okay to walk up to those conversations and then maybe, uh, maybe chime in because it's, that's an, that's a situation where that's expected and you can get to know some interesting people that way too. You can kind of do that in a virtual way. This is something I learned kind of after the fact is that Slack is kind of a fairly ubiquitous Slack communities in multiple cities. And, you know, each one will have channels 
centered around particular technologies. And that can be, for those who are not real comfortable just walking up to a stranger, that can be a really good way to to break the ice, to, to get to know people through chat. What about constructing your curriculum vitae or your resume? I mean, remember back in the day, it was like, make sure to fit it to one page, front and back, you know, certain structures and whatnot. Is the rigidity still there? Does that does that matter? Is there a particular format or some, certain things that you just critically have to put in there that, that helped you in your job search? You'll definitely find different opinions on uh, how the resume <laughs> should look. Yeah. <laughs> There's no end to those, whether you talk to someone in HR or multiple hiring managers. I feel like for most people, I mean, if you've been in the industry only like five years, you know, one page is probably good enough for you. But beyond that, uh, you're going to have a resume that's that's a couple pages. And for those that have like a really long, relevant work history, they may even look into going up to three pages. I, I had that feedback for myself but I just never felt comfortable going to that third page. It just seemed most of the feedback that I got was, you know, keep it at two pages and um, nothing beyond that. Mm. Yeah, but if it's too short, though, I mean, wouldn't you be leaving out some important stuff? I mean, I don't know. How do you know where to draw the line? It's difficult. What I try to do is break it down into sections. Uh, usually, instead of like an objective statement, you have like a couple sentences uh, about yourself, just kind of highlighting your strengths. And uh, then you always want to, you know, that technology keyword section, because these things, these resumes get read into, you know, applicant tracking systems and get parsed uh, for that. And then for the work history, you don't need to go, <laughs> if you've been in the industry for a while, you don't need to include everything. Oftentimes what I heard was 10 to 15 years, but honestly, how relevant is something that somebody did 10 to 15 years ago? I can go back 25 years. I worked at McDonald's, man. That was like uh, <laughs> a, a good team team building experience from that. And uh, yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, I think five to 10 years is probably <laughs> plenty for most nice. people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially in technology um, where technologies age out. So if you're an engineer trying to promote your skill set with a particular product, who cares what you did 10 years ago? Because that unless you're networking that product probably doesn't matter anymore. So that's a fair point. What about different styles of resumes for different jobs? I remember I actually had to take a career class is like how to write resumes and, and interview and network and stuff back in college, way back in the day. And they said, well, you have to build a different like profile and each profile had to map to a resume. And you know, one was like, this is my management persona. This is my individual contributor or engineer profile. And you make a resume that kind of leans towards that with the right keywords and stuff. I mean, is that still a thing? Is that, is that something that makes sense? Or do you just make one and say, you know, carpet bomb mode, this is who I am. If you want to know more, find me on GitHub or something. Yeah, you, you really do need to customize it for each Ooh. position that you apply for. Yeah, I know it, it's a lot That's of work. work. <laughs> it's a lot of work. You can make it easier on yourself if you make yourself like a, a master resume that can just include all that wonderful goodness about your accomplishments over the years, you know, what you've achieved and the results uh, that are brought to the company. And then when you have to create that custom resume for a particular position, you just kind of copy paste the things that are relevant under like, you know, each mm. uh, job that you held. So that way, you know, if you have 10 achievements for each job, you probably don't need to copy all 10, maybe four or five or something like that. What kind of modular? Uh, like you have your, your bank of, here's my 10 achievements, 
and then you kind of mind map them to, well, this place probably wants to know about these three. And then exactly. you, you take that module, if you will, and plop it in there. Exactly. Yes. I think the points around, do you want to go down the manager track or the individual contributor track? Those are good points. I think it's something you kind of have to figure out what you want first. And at the same time, it's not just a pay consideration, not just I want to step up into more pay, so I'm going to go manager. You have to also consider what you're looking for out of your career and your happiness. And honestly, being an individual contributor can be fun and enjoyable because the burden of management is relieved. You know, you're just creating and building and doing, but it can potentially limit career development. So I think you need to make that decision before you really start attacking different jobs and going down the, uh, the interview route. Ethan, what's on your mind? Doug is very meticulous, and that really caught my attention. Job searching is hard work. You do need to take it seriously and track your progress, and don't let anything fall through the cracks. Do your research on a company. There's so much information you can find out freely on the internet about a company and what they do. There's no excuse to just be applying cold and blindly to a job. You don't just find a position and apply and then kind of forget about it if you don't get a response. You you got to do the hard work of following up and keeping up with what's going on with your application. All right, Doug. Well, you've given us some really good secret sauce as to building your persona, getting the resume put together, networking, kind of all that jazz to get started. How about the reverse? You know, when you're when you're out there looking at the market and Indeed and Monster and you know talking to your friends and that kind of jazz, they all give you the holy grail, the job description. You know, this is the responsibilities and the experience. You know, which is always funny when you find something that requires ten years of experience in a technology that was just invented three years ago. I definitely laugh at those, but I think what I'm driving at is that most of the time the job description doesn't really mirror the job itself. How do you interpret those? How do you kind of find where the the BS is buried in these things so that you can move forward on the right opportunity? Really tough sometimes. It oftentimes feels like you're reading War and Peace, or that would actually be better (laughs) than reading some of these job descriptions. I think some people are paid for the number of words that you put in their job description because some are really wordy, and it just comes out as really like a lot of crap. And it could be really difficult to, I guess, see through what they're actually looking for. Uh, sometimes, though, you can read a job description and they'll they'll ask for like experience in a particular company technology, which is like to me is code for this is an internal hire, so skip. They're just you know publicly uh, showing it because they have to. But then other times, usually look over the first few bullets. Beyond that, it's just a lot of fluff, and, and or it's very repetitive, redundant. So I usually just stick to like the first five or six and focus on those, and you know just kind of ignore the rest of it. It's hard to do because you want to be thorough and make sure you don't miss anything, but that's what you have to do. Because when you're reading 15, 20 of these a day, uh, that's a lot of time. Your eyes start to bleed, literally. You know, it's just, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think those job descriptions are there in part from a, from a legal perspective. They want to make sure they've got a way to not hire you. Well, you can't do what the job says, uh, et cetera. So there's, there's an aspect of that as well. Because I... I feel, having done a bunch of hiring over the years, I feel that it's not just about whether or not you can do the job description, but also about the 
the warm and the fuzzies. You know, is this person going to be a good fit for the team and so on? And I guess, Doug, as we were going back and forth on this, preparing for the show, you made a point that job descriptions aren't just about what you do, but in a way also about who you are. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's more than just a combination of skills and experience because if that's all they really needed, they could just hire a contractor for that. It's about the attributes that you that you bring along with you, the, the experience that uh, has taught you some skills or some wisdom over the years that that organization doesn't have, uh, that they really need. And those are the, you know, it's those things that you really uh, can use to leverage for yourself uh, to show, you know, how much value that you can bring to the company. It may be value that's intangible, but it's still something that that company and that hiring manager is looking for. Which can be, the difficult thing there is getting in front of that hiring manager to display what those other things are. Because at first, you've got to look at the job description, as you were mentioning, for those first five or six bullet points. Can I do this job or can I do most of this job? And then when you get in front of that hiring manager, you can display to them that you've got personality and you can converse and you seem like a decent and trustworthy human being and all of those kind of things that could make you a good team player. That that can be tough. I don't know if you ran into that or not, just having trouble landing an interview because they can't see what a wonderful guy Doug is because you're just a piece of paper. Did that come up at all where you were trying to communicate what you were beyond just the piece of paper that was your resume? Yeah, that that is very hard to convey. That can be the purpose of the cover letter. And yeah, those those are those are still in vogue, uh, at least for some companies. I kind of thought the those have probably fallen by the wayside, but that is a chance to kind of add color to the resume and um, highlight some of those features that that just aren't you know visible in the resume. Cover letters, yeah. I've it's been a while since I've had to apply for a job, but uh, but yes, I remember doing those, and I know what you mean. It does seem like they they should have gone out of vogue by now because it's so much of data processing, just trying to get through everybody's resume. Who wants to play with a cover letter? I don't expect cover letters. I don't, I don't, I haven't, I haven't seen one in a while because I've hired folks. And I've not seen one in a while. Thank you letters for sure. Like follow-up stuff. Sure. But cover letter, like I'm almost thinking like if they're writing one, I'm not getting it because <laughs> I only get the resume and, and, you know, kind of the links and stuff for LinkedIn and, and GitHub and, and whatever it is that's relevant for it. I've not actually seen one of those in a while. So I personally, it wouldn't really influence me. I'm like, Oh, that's cute. And then I would move on to learning about the person and want to like, I just want to move on to the, to the talking to the person phase once they have the right, you know, bits and pieces in their, in their resume or their, or their history. That's my opinion. I think it also brings up the point of those job descriptions that are written for nobody. You know, it's like they want Captain America to come in and, you know, be a superhero. And you must be a programmer, a engineer, a network guy, you know, a, a you know server gal, you know, all these things in one. You have to know nine different languages and be able to fly and shoot laser beams. You know, is that something where you're like, wow, they're shooting for the moon. I should take this literally and just not apply. Or is it well, that's kind of what they want, or maybe you know these are all the things they're looking to do, but I shouldn't really expect that whole list to be accomplished. Yeah, I think it's it still goes back to me that job descriptions are usually not written that well. They often put the qualifications at the end, and for the audience, the the job seekers, uh, when they're reading you know two dozen job descriptions a day 
it can be very time consuming to wade through all the job description at the beginning that you know describes like attributes and particular skills and responsibilities and then you get to the qualifications that they're actually looking for uh, in that job and so what i what i ended up doing is i often read them in reverse and just started at the bottom and then you know if i saw those that you know just asked for some kind of uh, full stack unicorn you know if it was a company that i was interested in i might decide to go for it but if it was one that was just well, there was one that you know popped up in my search results. I mean, I may just pass on that. But oftentimes, you know, they're. I guess I don't know really why people write job descriptions like that because those people are few and far between, and uh, there's a lot of companies competing for people that fit that job description. So it, it, it's it's kind of a judgment call uh, whether or not uh, you want to try to go for that. Like I said, for me, it took about an hour, hour plus to customize a resume for each job that I applied for. And then if you have to also do a cover letter, that's additional time. So you just have to look at it in terms of, you know, how much time that you're investing just applying for that job, especially when your chances may not be very good to actually get a callback. point that Doug made here really stuck out to me, which is you are more than your technical skill set. You're also your personality and your experience that help out an organization. So both those skills that you have, I certified this and I have experience working with these servers and this kind of storage and these routers, those skills, and but then also the intangibles, your personality, what you bring to a team as a team player, uh, your ability to communicate, et cetera. Those things are also important and things that you want to try to highlight when applying for a job. Chris, what stuck out to you? Well, it's a bit more tactical, but just revisiting the idea of the cover letter, I honestly don't feel like it's all that important. And that might be the the league that we're playing in. You know, I'm not going for a a CEO type of position or something really executive-y, but I will highlight that feedback loops and closing those feedback loops, and that's including follow-up letters, a thank you note, an email, something just to kind of keep the conversation alive, which is a great way to underline the points that were brought up during the conversation and reemphasize where you're strong, but also kind of if there were concerns during the conversation, highlight where you think you can address those concerns. So those follow-up loops are really, really important, and I definitely suggest going through that process. Doug, a lot of companies seem to use third-party systems to track applicants, which kind of bugs the heck out of me. Uh, sometimes it feels like your, your application is disappearing into a black hole. Is there any – have you run into these? Is there anything to, to be aware of with these third-party tracking systems? I don't like them at all. They're all really pretty bad, some worse than others. It just – it depends. I've seen probably half a dozen different kinds, and each – for like, I don't want to pick on any particular one, but you may see the same one used at multiple companies, but it will be customized differently for each company. So what you think you can expect may be different because company A customized their implementation differently than company B. Like maybe one requires cover letters, the other one doesn't or something like that. One of the things that I learned late in the game was that all of these tend to favor uh, resumes written in uh, or saved in Word format, which is kind of troubling for someone who hasn't uh, used Windows in their home for probably 10 years 
when you've only got a Linux desktop and uh, iOS, you know, tablet. So uh, it can be really hard to comply with that that kind of format. And it, this is part of this is your life trying to search for a job and the hinge on something which seems kind of trivial to me. It's kind of annoying. Chris, you're you're a big Microsoft user and and fan, at least on the infrastructure side of things. Do you also does that also carry over to Word, where you find yourself creating and consuming a lot of documents written in Word? You know, not so much anymore. I think part of that is working at a startup, and and part of that is really embracing the Google Apps kind of environment. I've been a user, you know, of Google Apps since it came out, like back in the early two thousands. And then most of the companies I've worked for have done that, you know, when I was consulting and now, and now uh, where I'm at today. So I, I'm mostly in like the Google Docs kind of world. But at the same time, it's not a problem because being a Windows user, <laughs> everything's compatible with me. It's like all business applications yeah. target a Windows experience in some mm-hmm. way, shape, or form. And, you know, once in a while, like, uh, you know, someone will give me a, a key file or something that's a Mac only application, but it's really, really rare. You know, I, I very infrequently get proprietary formats that I can't read and go through. And oftentimes for work, it's in like a, a Google Doc, something like that. It, it's Google Docs and PDFs in, in, in my world. Um, and that seems to be what most people share in. But every once in a while, I have a subscription to Microsoft Office for my Mac because sometimes people send me things in, in Word and or they expect something to be sent to them in Word. So that still comes up, but not so often. That's part. I think that may be a way you can stick your neck up above the crowd a little bit is have the professionalism to submit documents in a kind of neutral format. I think like PDF is like the Switzerland of document formats. You know, everyone, everyone's good with it. Honestly, I would be a little bit, my eyebrow would be raised a bit if a candidate sent me a docx file, you know, cause a, I'm worried about like macros and creepy crawlies and stuff getting on there and B I'm like, you know, really, this means that potentially I can see the edits you've made, the notes, and there's all sorts of metadata captured in that that I, I probably don't want to share with somebody. So for me, whether it's a presentation, a document, a, you know, a spreadsheet might be a little bit different. But for the most part, I'm sending something that's kind of sanitized and, and its own neutral format anyways. Staffing companies, when they sent me email, almost always ask for a Word doc uh, mm-hmm. format for my resume. Uh, which was, you know, which you can do with Google Apps. You can save, you know, in that format. It may not, be, your resume may not be may not be formatted exactly as you saw it on the screen uh, in the Word format, but it, it does a pretty good job uh, of doing that. And one of the things I also ran into uh, talking to an HR professional about this, and what was so funny it was her response was, she's like, because I was talking to her about the applicant tracking systems and how it was finding out that like the preference for word doc kind of um, disappointing and, and just other uh, things that I run into. And she's like, well, you have to understand developers don't listen. (laughs) They don't listen to what we tell them that we need. (laughs) I was like, it never ends. It never stops. (laughs) Is that because they wanted it in a kind of a raw format so they could do an edit and put a logo on there, you know, kind of dress it up a bit because you can't edit a PDF in most cases. Was was that kind of the, the driver for them to get a raw kind of document format? I don't really, I don't really understand uh, that. I, I think the Word doc format is probably really well understood. And mm. yeah, as far as PDFs, I mean, but that's an open format, so that that should be as, just as well uh, yeah, understood. It, just, it tends to be like I just remember the one time I was working with a company in early days of my career. They wanted a Word doc, and, and I got it over to them. And then later on, 
you know, when I was working with the employer that I got hired from or hired by, they, they had it and they, and they showed it to me and it had been edited and things had been bolded, moved around. There was a certain logo, like they had done some alterations on it and then gave it to them in a PDF. Uh, yeah, that could which be. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like, I didn't know that people do that sort of things. So I, I don't know. Just that could be. Know. Yeah. So, Doug, do you or did you apply for a lot of jobs at once, or, or zero in on like one opportunity that you thought you really wanted and went after that one, or what was your strategy? I did start uh, just zeroing in on one to begin with, and if you haven't done this uh, for a while, uh, which I had not. It takes a while to ramp up to get up to speed to the point you know where you can uh, apply and prepare for multiple jobs pretty quickly. So, you know, I would recommend that people apply to as many as they can. It just may take you a while to, you know, get accustomed to creating the resume, creating a cover letter if necessary, submitting, following up with the recruiter, or just trying to reach out to the company in some way to. Uh, find out who the hiring manager is. Uh, but if you do do that, you you do need to track to when you apply to them, what position you apply to, because you know large companies can have multiple jobs with the same job title open. So you need there's usually you know some kind of uh, job code attached to that, and you need to keep track of that. Uh, I always saved my resumes with like the job title and the job code and put them in directories by, you know, company name so I could keep track of it's uh you really need to be organized. <laughs> You're like the job terminator, like vesting, <laughs> take it out, you know, laser. I don't know. That's yeah, not my best terminator. I, I get that though, especially the thing with um, you know, multiple job titles. I used to work for a state government and every job title was very formal. You are a technical support specialist five. And maybe there were three openings with that title, all of which had different job codes could have been tied to different state departments and could have come from, from the State Department perspective, from different funding sources. So you needed to know very clearly which one you were applying for because it, it did make a big difference. So so there is, I, I yeah, in some contexts, there's really a good reason to be very uh, meticulous in your tracking of these different jobs. Yeah, I also kept track of, you know, like when was the job open? That's, you know, that's a detail that's often on there. And, you know, because if you find something that's been open for, you know, maybe two, three months, if you really, really think you have a shot at it, go for it. But if it's been open for just you know two or three months, they may be really close to filling it. But then there's other companies that leave jobs open for a year before they may close it. It it really it's really difficult because there is no set standard. Every company does it their way, and it's a lot of guesswork to know what to do with each uh, particular job description. Yeah, I'd interpret that. Some of those jobs that would be open for a long time, if I was hunting and saw that, I'd open that to, huh, they're really struggling to find the right person. Uh, maybe, you know, kind of like that car that's sitting on the lot that hasn't moved for a while, maybe they'll take my low ball offer on the car. You know, maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm not quite qualified for this position, but they'll take me because they've struggled so much to fill the position. And speaking from experience, or they could have... Even though it's open, maybe they've had funding issues and they've left it open, but they haven't you know, chosen any candidates. They've kind of deferred that to the next quarter and then the next quarter and then the next quarter. 
What about companies that uh, it's it's kind of like they just have a license to shop? There's there's so many positions available for, and you kind of eyeball it, and you're like, wow, well, I could do this first job, or I could do this second one, maybe this third one. Kind of like the situation where you're the buyer, and there's lots of different things you could potentially choose to purchase, uh, being these job positions. How do you handle that? You know, are you applying to all of them? Do you pick one? You know, do you tailor the content towards it? Kind of what's the thought process there? Yeah, yeah you definitely have to tailor. Uh, your resume to to each one, and uh, I think you probably want to rank those. I mean, if you have three openings that you're applying to at the same company, you're definitely going to know which one that you want more uh, than the others. Uh, I actually um, near the end of my search, I, I did find a company where they had two or three openings, and uh, they were all pretty similar. But I could definitely rank which one was preferable to me. And focus more on that one, uh, you know, as far in terms of, you know, applied to that one first and then uh, went to the others uh, afterward, you know, until you hear back, you know, you just have to be prepared to be equally interested in any of them. So, Doug, obviously, the point of the show was you went through the process and, uh, you know, two thumbs up. Hopefully everything is going great for you. But uh, with everything, a postmortem can offer value. So looking back at the process and what you did and kind of how the experience was. If you could do one thing differently, what do you think that might be? One thing, I would say prepare for a long haul. It rarely works out <laughs> as quickly or as easily as you think it might. How, how long were you in for, Doug, when you uh, went through your transition? The long haul for me was uh, four months. And, you know, there's, uh, I guess, when I say prepare for a long haul, prepare for disappointment. Prepare for rejection. You know, prepare to be told that you know, you're not a right fit, even though you may think that you are. You just need to focus on uh, what you're looking for uh, and the value you can bring to a company and be persistent and be patient. Well, Doug, thanks for coming on the Data Not Show today and sharing your wisdom and experience based on your recent uh, job hunt. Uh, glad that you landed somewhere and uh, after after four months and so on. Now, are you a social creature? Do you blog or tweet? Anything you'd like to share with folks? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter. I'm on there quite often at uh, Debuggist, and I'm on LinkedIn. Feel free to reach out to me on there as well. Well, thanks again. And that is it for today's edition of the Data Knots podcast. You can reach Ethan. That would be me at EC Banks on Twitter. And I blog over at PacketPushers.net. You can find Chris at Chris Wall on Twitter. And his blog is wallnetwork.com. And for more of our Data Knots shows about infrastructure engineering, taser your brain with the electrifying content at PacketPushers.net. You will find we Data Knots talking about containers and full stack unicorns, cloud native, PowerShell chatbots, distributed storage, leaf spine networking, and so much more. Until then, may your server lights blink, your job hunt, capture a unicorn, and your cables be cleanly managed. I'm going to touch all your questions. <laughs> I, I like exactly yeah, no, no, that. Stop I... talking, Ethan. We don't, we don't need you to... <laughs> I love you. <laughs> <Hot>. <laughs> <laughs>